Welcome to Rehash. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rehash, a Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen. And today we're speaking with Richie Bonilla, co-founder and CEO of Clarity and Quest about the future of work, how Web3 can change the landscape for freelancers, DAO tools versus contributor tools, self-credentialing, and a lot more. Quest lets contributors create a professional landing page to showcase their best work, verified by their peers, and is made by the team behind Clarity. Richie was nominated by Metagame and voted onto the podcast by Ninty Nick, Fifth World Zach, Spencer Graham, Louie, Meg Lister, and an anonymous voter. Before we dive into our conversation, here's a quick word from the Web3 projects that helped make this season possible. Social media wasn't designed for ads and algorithms. It was made for people. And at Lens Protocol, we're putting people back in control. We're not looking for users' data. We're here to build a community of collaborators, builders, artists, and dreamers ready to unlock a new world of social media. This isn't just an app. It's a flourishing ecosystem of platforms and experiences owned and operated by the developers and creators who are bringing it to life. In the Lensverse, you don't just own your content, you own everything. Your data, your connections, the value you bring to the table, it all stays in your possession, exactly where it should be. As a creator, the Lens ecosystem offers a new set of tools for connecting with your audience. Your data is truly portable and belongs to you. Post once and distribute everywhere in the Lensverse. You can even take your followers with you from app to app. As a developer, you can skip right past building the base layers and scaling your users by plugging your new app directly into Lens's existing infrastructure and community. So whether you create with a brush or a camera, sound waves or lines of code, it's time you got your due. Come create the future of social media with us on Lens Protocol. Lens is the last social media handle you'll ever need. Have you seen how epic Ambire Wallet is? How epic it is? Yeah. Cue the music. Ambire is a Web3 wallet that makes crypto self-custody easy and secure for everyone. Instead of relying on clunky seed phrases, you can create an account with the hardware wallet or username and password, secure it with two-factor authentication, and regain access with Ambire's cloud recovery. Need to pay out some contributors or execute a bunch of trades? No problem, chief. Queue up as many transactions as you want, and when you're ready, execute the entire batch at the same time, paying gas only once. You can even prepay for gas with stablecoins or Ambire's native wallet token, which will get you some cash back. Without ever leaving the Ambire interface, you can manage assets from over a dozen chains, safely migrate them with Ambire's built-in bridge, and seamlessly interact with dApps like Uniswap, Aave, and Snapshot, all within the same transaction. Plus, Ambire is constantly growing their dApp catalog with trusted partners and collaborating with builders who want to establish the new standard for smart contract wallets. So, pretty epic, huh? Yeah, I already know all that though. I've had an Ambire wallet for months. And you didn't tell me? You never asked. To get involved and truly own your assets, go to ambire.com. How was your day? Bad. What happened? I bought some NFTs and then they just disappeared. Sounds like your NFT creator should have used NFT.storage. NFT.what? NFT.storage. Come on, I'll show you. With NFT.storage, anyone can easily upload their NFT data to a decentralized and reliable storage network, 
completely for free. Wow, how does it work? Well, instead of relying on centralized and impermanent storage solutions, nft.storage uploads your files to IPFS and Filecoin. These are powerful peer-to-peer -peer networks that are made for the decentralized web. Thanks to IPFS's unique storage system, you can be confident that once your files are uploaded, they'll be accessible from anywhere in the world for as long as you'd like. They're already trusted by some of the biggest names in Web3, like OpenSea, Magic Eden, and Rarible. By adding files to these networks for free, NFT.Storage is helping to turn proper NFT data management into a public good. This will ensure that NFTs will remain accessible and secure in the long run, so you won't get rugged again. Gee, so I just upload my files and NFT.Storage will take care of the rest? Now you're getting it. Go to nft.storage today to upload some NFT data of your own for free. And be sure to follow nft.storage on Twitter at nftdotstorage. So without further ado, here's our guest, Richie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to have you on. I know you've been working on a new project while well, you and the team at Clarity have been working on something called Quest that I'm really excited to learn more about. So I know that the sort of like high level overview of Quest that lets contributors create beautiful landing pages that showcase their work. So before we dive into that, though, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about traditional freelancing or independent work. People kind of, you know, use these interchangeably. I myself have been a freelancer before. I know you have as well. And so we've personally experienced some of the benefits and the challenges of freelancing in the traditional world. From your experience, what have been some of the challenges with freelancing or performing independent work that you've observed or you've experienced personally? Yeah, I spent... 10 years of working independently in that time, like ran a full gamut of everything from just taking work off of marketplaces to having subcontractors, all kinds of different stuff. And so I have experienced just like all the different ways that things can go well and also poorly. And I think that at a high level, what I think about is like the things that can make independent work difficult are one is that it's just very risky or perceived to be very risky because you don't know where your next work is coming from, right? If you're starting off and you have a salary, you're thinking, well, where am I going to, how am I going to replace this salary, right? This, this perfect drip every two weeks of money into my bank account. How am I going to replace that with freelancing? Where, where is that next project coming from? And when you're working on a project, you're not sure where the next one, how much time should I be spend selling and marketing versus actually doing the work, right? And for many folks who get into working independently, like they want to do the thing that they are trying to do. They aren't actually interested in the selling and the marketing and, and the business stuff that, that comes along with it. And so I think there's like an air of risk that comes with it. And, but then also one thing you might not realize until you actually get going is that it can be very lonely, right? And so if you're going from working in, in person in an office and now you're at home, right? Working by yourself or you're used to working on a team and having a manager or having a mentor at work. Now you don't have any of that anymore. It can feel like, whoa, I lost my whole like professional support system. Right. And if you're, you have to like sort of rebuild that yourself. So in the beginning, it can be very lonely. And then I think that's something that's like sort of hidden that no one really talks about, but that I witness a lot of my friends going through as they go independent or try and build their practice is just this like emotional journey. You sort of have to, you know, instead of being a blank at blank, right, a product manager at Google, you are now like, 
Richie, like I am this. And now it's like so much more closer to home. And often when we work independently, we're doing it because we want to do something that is closer to our passions. And so now it brings it even closer to your identity. And if it doesn't work, it's like, is this a rejection of me or is this the rejection of my talent? Am I not good enough? Like that's all, you know, a big part of it. And there's a big identity shift that comes along with going independent or even just changing your offering as an independent. Like you have to sort of rebrand yourself. I mean, it can be like really emotional. And I think that like often like someone writing their first proposal, I experience as being an emotional, like, well, how much should I charge? How much is my time worth? How much should I make this year? Like it sort of unravels all of these other questions. And so there's just like an emotional overhead to being independent that I don't think we talk about enough. Yeah, for sure. And overall, just like a lot of stuff to figure out on your own, right? Like some of it is logistical. And I don't know if you ever use like Fiverr or Upwork or these marketplaces, but I think that's where a lot of people turn to these marketplaces to have more visibility and get some of these like logistical things taken care of by the platform. What's your take on these marketplaces and whether they're actually beneficial to freelancers or not, because I personally have used Upwork and Fiverr and the prices that people charge on there are extremely low. And it almost feels like competition to have the lowest prices, which is like not in the spirit of adequately rewarding freelancers for their work. So I'm kind of torn, like on the one hand, it seems like they can be a helpful tool if you're just getting started as an independent worker. But on the other hand, it seems like they really like are against the spirit of what we're actually trying to do with independent work. Yeah, that was my experience. I mean, I used Upwork specifically and it helped me to get my practice off the ground. When I was in high school, I freelanced and I did a lot of work for like small businesses in the neighborhood doing graphic design and brand identity work for like local businesses. And I was working in a community setting there. So I got a lot of work through word of mouth. That was like really good for a high school student, really good for a college student even that like I sort of didn't really have to look for work too much because I had built up that reputation. Then I ended up dropping out of college to build my first tech startup. And after three years of like, oh, I'm going to like do this whole thing, like it didn't work. And I like spent all my money trying to like make that work. And I, you know, had to move back in with my parents at like negative bank account balance and I had to start freelancing again. And so at that point, Upwork was really great because it was like, okay, well, I don't want to do this like small business graphic design anymore. I now know how to build apps. I know how to work on product. I'd like to do product and design. And so I needed to bootstrap my network again from scratch. And so marketplaces were really good for that because I could just sort of log on and start building up credibility doing this new thing. And that's what's really great about marketplaces. They provide, you know, discoverability. People can find you, you can find work. They make it safe to collaborate with strangers because, you know, they provide arbitration. They can get in the middle and figure out how to sort something out when it goes wrong. They also provide payment and escrow services. So they swipe credit cards for you. They organize your tax forms. They hold money in escrow so that it can be like let out over milestones. So they're like a trusted party in the middle. And then finally, they help create that verified proof of work that says, you know, Diana worked with Richie. Richie paid Diana this much money. And Richie said that Diana was good and got five stars and like that's on the page, right? And so they, they can sort of be this like oracle that says like this happened. But we sort of have to trade for that. And so we can trade up to five to 20% of our income depending on how established you are on that platform, which 
you may say is reasonable, may not, depending on where you are in your career. And then there's like these hidden costs. So for example, you may not realize it, but as you alluded to, your offering is sort of being commoditized by the platform, right? So we're pretty familiar with how social media companies are incentivized to like take more of your attention, right? That's their, that's their business model. So like all the forces on those sites are there to like absorb more and more of your attention. Marketplaces also have a business model. They measure their top level metrics are GMV, right? So it's like the total volume of money passing through the platform and that's how they make their money. So all the things that they're trying to do are trying to increase GMV and they want to create more matches, more transactions, right? Just higher volume, volume, volume. And it's easier to match somebody who has as a more similar offering to other people. And so they want to make their marketplace more efficient, which is good for the marketplace, arguably good for the client, not great for the talent. If you think about a really efficient marketplace, you look at Uber, pretty much every Uber can service every customer. Like there are some exceptions, pet-friendly cars, like how many seats are in the car, but almost every car is available to you as a rider. And that's great for you as a rider, you're the client, but as the talent on that marketplace, you have no leverage. No matter how great an Uber driver is, they cannot differentiate themselves and become a top 1% Uber driver, right? It's, it's just not possible. And that's sort of the pressure that marketplaces put on talent is they commoditize their offering. And so that makes it harder for you to charge higher prices and you sort of giving up your identity to the matching uh, game. Yeah, something you brought up is like the rating system. And it seems like in the traditional world, you can either get rated by your boss if you work at a corporation and you get, you know, your quarterly performance review or your annual performance review or whatever, you're getting rated by your boss. Or you can get rated by your clients, like you were saying on if we did a project together on Upwork, I did something for you and you paid me for it. You can then rate me five stars or however you feel is appropriate for the job that I did. But there isn't really a peer review system, right? And that's something that I saw on the Quest page that says it's like reviewed by your peers or something like that. That's just not something I've really thought about that much. So I wanted to ask you about that piece, like what brought you to think about this peer review system? And why do you think that's kind of like the like missing piece or like the thing that's going to change the dynamic for freelancers? Yeah. So I really just thought about, you know, over the 10 years that I've been independent, where did I get my credibility from? And when you work as a traditional employee, your credibility comes from what organizations you work for. So if you go work for a fan company, all of a sudden you're super credible, right? Like that's where you're borrowing credibility from. As an independent though, there are no like licenses typically for, you know, designers, developers, right? Even just like any kind of knowledge worker, they don't typically have that kind of like licensure credentials. And so you sort of just show up, you state your truth. This is what I do. This is who I am. And when people say like, are you sure? Like, how do I know that's true? You, you point to your peers and you say like, Hey, like you can go talk to this person I worked with, or you can talk to my friend over here and they'll tell you, or you can look at my projects and you can see who I did those projects with. And oh, turns out, you know, someone I did a project with. So, and you know, they're credible. So now, you know, I'm credible. And so what I realized is that you're getting your credibility from your network, like the people around you. And if you're working in a dense network, then people will know people you've worked with. 
And that is your credibility. And that's where your credibility comes from. And so it's less about your peers giving you five stars and more about the fact that you can just demonstrate who you've actually worked with. And people can then discover you through people they already know. And that makes it so much easier. If you're working on a marketplace, you're inherently getting introduced to people you do not know. These are strangers. And they're usually strangers you have nothing in common with. If you had something in common with them, you wouldn't need the marketplace. And so I think that what I've noticed is that when I went from working in those like local communities to working on Upwork, all of a sudden, like, everything was different. It was like a fundamental distrust, right? Like the marketplaces have surveillance software they install on your computer that reports what's on your screen every five minutes to make sure that you're like on task. Like it's super dehumanizing. And that's because like, there's a fundamental distrust between the parties from day one that you don't have when you work in community. Right. And so when I look over at Dow contributors, for example, I'm saying, okay, these are independent workers, but they're much more similar to the dynamic that I had in working in small businesses, like working for small businesses in Queens than they are to when I was working in Upwork. And then I had the same experience when I, I took a contract job working at Techstars in 2019. And that's how I got into crypto. There was a blockchain accelerator. And all of a sudden I was like plugged into this community where work would sort of come to me through the network. And then I started working these early web three communities and these NFT gaming communities. And the same thing was happening there. And I'm saying, well, what's, this is way more similar to those small businesses in Queens, but it's on the internet. And so all of a sudden, like what I realized is like the social fabric that you're in is not only what gives you credibility, but it's also what brings you work. And that as we look at how DAOs are playing out and how contributors are operating in DAOs, you need something that's native to that independent worker that can say like, okay, how do I leverage the community that I'm in to help build a more sustainable independent practice? And I think that's the future of what independent work looks like. It doesn't look like going to marketplaces. It doesn't even look like bounty boards, honestly, which I think are very similar to marketplaces. Like if you want to take bounties off bounty boards to get started, great. Maybe to enter a new community, great. But your first priority should be to like stop doing that as soon as possible and start proposing your own projects because that's where you have leverage. That's where you can assemble your own teams. That's where you have bargaining power. And that's where you can do work that no one might expect or, or hasn't already digested for you and put on a, on a ticket. And so all of that's possible because you're in this network of peers who can vouch for you and who can join you on your, your next quest or your next project or your next proposal. And so when you look around, it's like, actually, that's the most important part. And that's what's entirely missing when you look at someone's portfolio site where they make it on Squarespace or whatnot. They're just missing who they worked with. And there's no connection to anyone else. Every site is just an island or a silo. And so that was really like a big part of starting to work on Quest was to say like, what's different here in this like new paradigm of independent work? How do we actually incorporate that into your online reputation? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to take a step back and we're getting into quests and I, I want to get deeper into quests. But just to back up for a second, you were building clarity for how long was it? I have such a bad concept of time. A couple yeah, of years. We started building clarity in 2019 when I got into these like okay. Web3 communities originally. Yeah. Right. Okay. So 2019, it's been a few years. And then recently the team at Clarity started building this new thing called quests. So take us back to, you know, like how this idea came about for Quest, like how that spun out of whatever it is you guys were doing at Clarity. And can you explain more in detail about what Quest is? Yeah. So when we started building Clarity, we were in these Web3 communities. I was 
having this realization, okay, this is similar to what I experienced before, but now it's on the internet. This is the future of independent work and interesting, interesting. How do we build something that helps these folks not only stay organized, but how do we help them build some kind of credibility that says like, okay, I had this impact on this community. So now when they go to another community, they can demonstrate that. And our idea was, or our hypothesis was that if we created a workspace that had the right permission system that used your on-chain data, that had integrated payments and these other things that were native to this new paradigm, we could actually produce reputation data implicitly that you could then say, okay, look, this is who I've worked with. This is what I did. Over time, we realized that the workspace format, in my opinion now, is sort of inappropriate, where it's still a skeuomorphic like approach to DAOs, right? It's saying, okay, this is just sort of like another B2B situation. And there's so many parts of DAOs that are not like that. So the decision maker for who uses a new tool, all the way to just like who's responsible for what, you sort of have all of the responsibilities of maintaining a knowledge base or a project management workspace from a regular company, but without the management structure and the, you know, like sort of responsibility tree that actually makes that work. And so over time, we started realizing this disconnect between what was actually happening and what we had proposed as a solution. And so one by one, we just like sort of invalidated each of our hypotheses. We shipped tons and tons of experiments and product. And I started to see like, okay, this is not exactly what we're trying to do. And and the biggest thing was that all of this independent coordination happens in a group chat. And everyone sort of takes this position that like, oh, Discord is broken. You know, we shouldn't be using Telegram for this, like all of that. And I said, well, what if we take a different approach? What if we take the approach that like Telegram is great? Or like the group chat is a perfect coordination medium. How would we build something that fits in that context, that enhances that context? And so we started looking at different tools that were succeeding there. And we've decided, okay, wow, this actually actually be more of a peer-to-peer tool, not a workspace, right? It doesn't, it shouldn't be targeting the community. It should be targeting the contributor and giving them tools that they can take from community to community. And so over time, we realized that Basically, you know, contributors need to be able to walk into a community, make a proposal, demonstrate their, their credibility, assemble a squad, right? They need to be able to do these things. Even if they're taking a bounty off a bounty board, they do need to demonstrate their credibility. What can they take with them from community to community? And what would it look like to just give them a tool that does that really well? How do people do this currently? Well, if you're a traditional worker, you will create a LinkedIn, right? But my LinkedIn looks terrible because I have like an eight year block that just says self-employed with no logo. And like, I get the privilege of describing eight years of, you know, my, my journey in like 2000 characters. And then I have a bunch of other jobs that are like three months or four months that make me look like I can't, you know, keep a job. And cause the resume format just doesn't work for us. Right. But you do want like the connectivity that's provided by these professional networks. Like that's good. That clearly works for traditional workers. So, okay, well, well, how are we demonstrating project-based work then? Well, you have to go make your own website. And that's not only a ton of work and like super intimidating. You have to decide how to design it, how to build it, what hosting service, buy a domain, like all of that just to get started. Like that's like their first step on your independent journey. Like it's like a month project for a lot of people. But then once you're done, you have this thing that describes your project and then is not connected to anything else in the internet. It just exists by itself in this perfect little bubble where only you can point to it. And like, you know, you know, no one else is going to find it ever. And so we thought, well, how do you get the benefits of having something that's 
connected that also demonstrates project-based work that's also really easy to set up. And we started to think, like, okay, if you can do that, if we can incorporate the social fabric around you, your peers into that process, you could actually maybe get something. And so we started thinking about how could you display your work as an independent contributor. And we started looking at things like LinkedIn bio pages, like Linktree and stuff like that. Like what if you build something that fit in that slot? This way people could see what I've done from my Twitter bio, right? And so we really went from this desktop first team business sort of format tool, workspace tool for collectives to this individualistic mobile first consumer design product that is fundamentally different, but that is ultimately trying to solve the same problem. How do you help contributors get in a room, gather together and build reputation data that actually helps them gain credibility in this new paradigm of work? Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah, it it does seem kind of like I've always thought, oh, like developers have GitHub, which seems like such a useful tool where it doesn't really matter if you're a dev, it doesn't really matter what company you're working for. All your contributions are getting recorded on GitHub and you'll have that to show forever. Why isn't there something like GitHub for everybody else who's a non-dev? You know, like I so wish there was something like that because then you could just see all the stuff I'm actually doing instead of looking at, you know, like a, a resume style LinkedIn or or like trying to cram all of my experience onto one piece of paper. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. That's just an outdated model and it doesn't work. So I love the idea of Quest. Can you maybe give an example of how that would work? Just just so I can get a better idea of like how it actually works in practice. Sure. So we could use your podcast as an example. So you might say, okay, we are working on a podcast. And we've had conversations before where you said to me, hey, I really want to be able to give our contributors credit for what they're doing to help us with the podcast, right? And how do I do that, right? And so Quest could be used for that. So you could say, okay, well, we're going to do season four of the podcast. And in season four, we're going to have people who help with marketing. We're going to have people who help with, you know, setting up episodes, editing, all that stuff. And we could decide that we're going to do one quest for the season of the podcast. And what's cool about it is you just, you know, sort of, you hit create quest. We actually are going to have uh, quests.new. So you can just type in quests.new on your browser and you just be creating a new quest uh, from anywhere. You can add as little information as you want, name, date, image, but you can just put through as little as you want to get started. Then you can send that to contributors. So you can send the link and they can just join the quest. And it's similar to like joining a Google doc, right? If they don't have the invite link, then they can request to join and you'll get a text message that says, Ellie would like to join your quest. If you do send them an invite link, it's like a zoom call. They just sort of are in. And then from there, every contributor who's on the quest has a contribution on the quest. And so you can describe what you've done for the quest as a summary, and you can back that up with links, with hashes for, you know, if you, if you put those contributions on chain, if there are transactions, any evidence that describes like what you did could be pictures, links, Google Docs, Figma files, whatever it is, you can add those to your contribution. And now you have this really tight page that has a cool piece of artwork, the name, the dates, a description of the quest from everyone's perspective, and then a description of every person's contribution and a list of all the contributors, and it links to all their profiles. And so now that quest shows up on everyone's profile that wants it to, 
right? So it's consensual. So you can be on a quest and not show it in your profile. Maybe it doesn't fit into your narrative that you're trying to paint, but you still want credit for being a part of it. Or you can showcase it on your profile and say, yeah, this was something I was a part of and I'm really proud and I want to show it off. And so that's it. That's what Quest does. And then you have like a behind the scenes, like contributor view where you could just put links in files that we call attachments for everyone to see. So if you're working on something new with people, you can just send them this one link, they join, and then they can see all the things they need to actually help out and who else is involved. So there's like a two-sided nature of it, but the, the focus is really on displaying the work for the public and for people to see. Gotcha. So if I were to go and start a quest, I would automatically generate a profile for myself as well. And then any quest I join will like appear in this landing page Yep. that I can just like send over a link to whoever and say like, hey, check out all the projects I've worked on and my contributions. Yep. Yep. So everyone will have a page that's quests.com slash, you know, Diana or DDW Chen, whatever you want your, your username to be. So it's no different than sending like a Twitter profile. And then you'll have all those projects there. Gotcha. Very cool. I know there's also, I think there's also an NFT component to yeah. the quest. Like it's when a quest is completed and NFT is minted, right? Is how it works. Mm-hmm. Is that just like kind of like a fun way to wrap a bow around the project when once it's done? Or does that actually like have more of like a significance or value? So it's both. There's definitely just a cool sentimental value, a commemorative element to saying like, hey, I was a part of this. Like, let me collect this on-chain commemorative NFT. But it definitely has functional value. That's really the reason we created it. And so the way that it works is that at the end of a quest, when you like finish the quest and you seal it, and an NFT collection is created for every quest. And only the contributors of the quest are allowed to collect from that collection. And so now what's possible is that as you complete more quests, as you work on stuff, and as you also log quests that have already happened, you can go back a few years and create quests for things that have already happened because you have that peer verification. You don't have the Oracle problem of like having to have it, have to do it in the future, like after the system was created. And so now that you have this, there's all kinds of things you can do with those NFTs. You can have them displayed on other profiles that you have. So if you apply for a grant and the grant has your, uh, a wallet attached to it. Your quest can show up on the grant proposal. Your quest can show up on your own website. You could display those and index them and pull them into a custom website. You could have them displayed on a professional profile that's Web3 enabled to show up on your wallet. And then they also could be used as a way to build other kinds of tools. So for example, you could say, okay, we're a DAO. We want to create an open source community directory tool for us, which I've heard plenty of DAO contributors and organizers and and core contributors talk about. But what happens? They have to create their own network every time that they do that, right? They have to get everybody to come on there, create their profile, build it. Well, now you could just go, you could identify people based on what's in their wallet. You can find the NFTs that are, the Quest NFTs that are associated with those wallets and index them and start displaying a community directory for your community right there with the quests that they've worked on, who they've worked with, and you can have a full profile built out with all of their credibility. You could also do things where you could say, well, I would like to work in the Web3 ecosystem, but I would like to work with people who are in this community that I really identify with. So I'm a boys club member. I really like to work with other boys club members on stuff, but it doesn't have to necessarily be boys club stuff. And so I want to see the quests that boys club members are on in other communities. And I want to join those, right? Because you have a person there that you are 
already know or you're already familiar with or that you already trust. And all of that can be created using this. We don't want to build a marketplace, but you could build a niche talent marketplace off of these NFTs. You could say, okay, we're going to help people meet people who are, you know, in their network who maybe are three or four degrees away from them. And there could be a UI for that, that someone else creates. And they don't also have to go through the cold start problem of creating that entire network from scratch because they have the NFTs as a, as a thing that they can index and, and look through, right? So we could have a subgraph that lets you build off this stuff. And that's really, really helpful. And the NFTs are a good primitive for this because Working with somebody on something is like a pretty great indicator that you actually know them. Whereas other kinds of social graphs like follower following graphs are like a really like kind of lousy sort of indication of trust. They're a good indication of other things, but not trust. So we all know like LinkedIn connections, you know, they kind of mean something maybe, but generally we don't put a lot of weight on them. But if you worked with somebody on a specific project, you can put a lot more weight on that. And I think that makes it more useful as a primitive to build all these new things off of. And so we're really focused on just building this one little primitive and the NFT is a huge part of that. And it also makes sure that I can take my credibility that I create on Quest or I create in one community and I could take it to other communities, which is not something that I could do with my Upwork profile when I created credibility on there. I couldn't take that to other marketplaces. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you clarified that point because when we were talking about self-credentialing earlier in the conversation, I was wondering with peer review, what are like, I guess, the requirements for that? And you just answered that as you have to have worked on a project together, because otherwise, I think it can just turn into, you know, the same sort of thing that Twitter is, wh where it's really just about your social capital and how popular you are and all of those things. So that's good. Right. I was also thinking as you were talking, like, would you say Quest is kind of similar to something like Govern, where you can record your contributions or even something like Avenue, which I'm actually, I, I still have need to check out their new products. But I know there's like, I've heard of other DAO tooling platforms out there that seem to be solving similar problems. Would you say it's Quest is similar or are there any like key differentiators? Yeah. So I would say when I talked to Aaron about Govern, where we ended up was that anything could be a contribution, but a quest is like a, a project level thing. Like we think of it as like a portfolio level thing. And, and a quest provides the story, the context that gives significance to other facts, right? And so all these metadata that we create on chain, whether they be governed contributions, transactions, all these different metadata that we're, we're saying, oh, this is all really useful metadata. Without a story, that metadata, those transactions, they don't mean anything, right? And so if I get my grant funded by a DAO, the transaction itself doesn't actually say that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's a grant funding and like what that impact of that grant funding was. But when I wrap it in a quest and I put that transaction on the quest and I say, this is the story, or I take that governed contribution and I add it to the story. Now we're giving context to it. And we're also adding value to all of those other things because if you say like, oh, I can verify this action or this contribution on Govern, and then I can wrap it in a story that makes Govern contributions more interesting and valuable. There's more reasons to do that. And so we think of them as, as different things. They do rhyme, but we, we're really just focused on creating this one specific thing. And so we say, these are the facts and we're the story. I do like that. Like on Govern, I think Aaron just, I just went skiing with Aaron last week and I think he recorded a contribution to that. But to your point, it's like, that's just a one, like, that's not part of a bigger quest that we have to like, 
you know, conquer all the mountains together or something. Like it was just a one-off thing that we recorded for fun. So I, I like that framing a lot. Do you see Quest as being a tool just for DAOs or do you see it being used more widely by kind of anyone who's an independent worker? Yeah. So we actually don't see it as a tool for DAOs. We see it as a tool that is used within the context of DAOs as a, as an initial like starting point. And so we say like, this is not a DAO tool. It's a contributor tool. And so the DAO focus for us is to say that, okay, we actually think that independent work over time moves into this more community or like village oriented way of working and that DAOs are currently doing that. Like they are the most similar thing, right? The DAOs have been effective at creating values aligned communities, giving them a reason to work together, creating spaces and containers for them to do that, giving them missions and context that incentivizes them to work together over and over again. That's fantastic. We think more independent work is going to look like that into the future. And the contributors that are working in that space are independent workers and that more independent work will look like that. So we're starting here because we think this is actually a picture of what the future looks like. And and it's here today. So if we start here and we build for this person, then there's more people who are going to start looking like that customer. And we can start like sort of moving outwards in concentric circles and, and ultimately bringing folks into that style of work, right? Taking people off of marketplaces, giving them the tools they need to go work in community is something I'm really excited about. And so not only are we saying, hey, let's grow within this initial ecosystem, but I think that we can actually play a part in growing that style of work that we're really excited about. For sure. So if we continue down this trajectory that, you know, is like this utopian thing that you've kind of laid out in your mind, if all goes well, according to your plans, what does the independent work or freelance space look like in, let's say, like five years? Again, like we're not just talking Web3, we're not just talking DAOs, we're talking like overall, like what does it look like for freelancers to be a freelancer? Yeah. There's this phrase I really like that says, you know, the future is already here, but it's not evenly distributed. And when I look at DAOs and when I also look at Brooklyn, like my friends and how they operate in Williamsburg, like I see that utopian future existing today. All of my friends, if not almost all of my friends are working independently in some capacity, whether they're founders or they're doing all different stuff. Like freelancing is just one style of independent work. There's so many different ways you can be creating your own projects. You can come up with ideas and get them sponsored by companies and I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can do this. And so I'm looking at what that looks like here, where our friends are jumping onto each other's quests. They're soliciting support from the network. We call it the blob, like the, the friend group of friend groups, you know, like external to like your one friend group. And that's where most people are finding the next thing to do and the next project to work on. And so that's what it looks like to me is it looks like instead of having, oh, I need a designer. Let me go and go to the marketplace and find a random designer on the internet. I should be going to my local designer, right? And like, just like you go to like a local blacksmith or like your local shoe tailor, like you go to your local designer or your local developer who's like in the ecosystem, right? If you think about like seed club is an ecosystem, right? It's kind of like a village or like a city. And there are people in that ecosystem who are known for doing certain things. And you could go to them and you could say, oh, well, we're a C club company or we're a C club funded company. Like we'd like to work with you on this. And maybe that person knows somebody who could help us. Right. And so you're sort of going to your local person and that's better for everyone. Cause I know that person's work. I know that they're legit. I know that they're probably going to do good work for me or that they're going to know somebody who I can trust that I don't have to vet 
super strongly. And it's also better for the talent because they're working with people who are in these values aligned communities who are not going to rip them off because there's, there's a social context that polices that inherently. Like you don't want to be a jerk to somebody who you share 15 mutual friends with. That's not a good look. It's not a good, you know, long-term strategy. So I think that that's more of what it looks like. And to me, it's like, it is utopian, but it's also like not fantasy, right? Because I literally live in that world right now. And I think that we can sort of take that as an example and with very lightweight tooling, actually make it more accessible to more people. What do you think that's going to do to the future of work more broadly? Because right now, you know, a, a lot of people, I mean, everybody would love to do projects they're passionate about and everybody would love to have the freedom of being their own boss and not having to report to somebody else, you know, but a lot of people still work in corporations because it's the safer option because, you know, of all the things that we talked about in the beginning of this conversation with all the challenges that freelancers face. So if we can take away some of those challenges or solve some of those problems and make it easier and make it make sense in a financial sense for independent workers, then do you think we're going to see a shift of people moving away from being employees to being independent workers? Yeah, but I don't think that means that people work with each other only in like small sprints. We're an example of this, right? So our company, we have three core team members. We have a freelance developer who also helps us out. And then we work in partnership with a squad of three people who help us with our brand design, our brand voice and direction and our social, like helping us to operate our social profiles. And I provide a ton of like strategic ideas and vision and, and help to curate that, but they bring their talents and they're super talented. And the way that we started working together was I started working with one person. And then as I needed more stuff, they were like, Hey, I could recommend the person I work with. And there's so much benefit to working with them versus like going with a different design and trying to get them to work together because they already have, you know, cohesion in their group. And so basically our team is, is not, it's like mostly not people who work at the company right now. And, but we're working together for months and months and months and months. And we have so much context. And I think that these squads are the future of like really how this plays out. And you'll have these like constellations of squads who actually like create longer term agreements to work together. And they can create all kinds of different incentive structures to actually like incentivize that you could swap equity. I mean, you could do, you know, with tokens, you can do stuff too. And, and I think that that can create the benefits of working strategically, but with this more quest based structure where you're actually joining together to achieve an outcome. The outcome is achieved. You can decide to go on another quest together, or you can decide to not do another quest together. And that working in quests actually creates a lot more alignment because you can say, we're all incentivized to achieve this goal. I'm not incentivized to just fill up your time every week with as much work as I can get you to do um, because I already own you for 40 hours a week. And I'm going to try and get 50, right? Or I'm going to try and get 60 because you're afraid of losing your job and, and, and everything else. And I think there's all kinds of other structures that we need to build around this, right? Healthcare needs to change, education, like all these other pieces need to like sort of move into this world. But with all the shifts that we're seeing, I think that a lot of this stuff is is ripe to be reformed and replaced. And so we're sort of like skidding to where the puck is going. We're saying this is the fruit we want to see. There's other pieces that need to happen. We're going to own our piece of that equation and we're going to, you know, march forward and and be optimistic and hope that we're going to we're going to see the rest of those pieces come through. 
I absolutely love that. And I hope that you're spot on. And I hope that we see that future sooner than later. Do you have any final thoughts on quests or on the future of work that we didn't get to that you'd like to leave listeners with? No, I think that's a pretty complete picture of like where we're at right now. Um, yeah. yeah, we're going to be rolling this out. Like it's March, 2023 right now. And we're going to be rolling this out starting next week. And so we've already had a lot of people and our alpha tests, we're announcing the beta next week. And, and so hopefully you're going to be hearing from us more, you know, as we, as we do that. Awesome. Yeah. So it, it sounds like that should be launched by the time this episode is released to the public. So when people are hearing this, remind people again, where do they go to sign up for the beta? Can anybody just sign up or do they need to like DM you or go through some channels? Right now we have a wait list, but we're going to be onboarding people from the wait list. And we're specifically focused on communities where there's a lot of alignment and like the style of work and what they're doing. Because if you have a bunch of people scattered around who don't talk to each other using it, it's not as useful to them as people who are more closely networked. And so we're going to be really focused on like intentionally bringing people on, but starting to just get faster and faster about that as we feel more confident in the way that the product actually works. But the product like is a strong V1. It already is built like it's there. Um, it's just a matter of us ironing out the onboarding process and things like that to actually like open it up further and further. Um, so the best place to go is quests.com. We also have our Twitter at QuestsXYZ. And both of those are going to be like where we're going to have all of our announcements and information and where you can you know find out about the product or, or sign up for the waitlist. Amazing. We'll include that in the show notes too, to make it easy for people. Before you go, last thing, Richie, is we like to end every episode with a game. This season, we're playing the word association game. So I've got this kind of intimidating looking tin here with about 50 slips of paper in here. And on these slips of paper are words or phrases that are often misused or overused in Web3. Okay, so what what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to take out 10 slips of paper, it's eight, 10, and I'm going to read these slips of paper and you are going to say the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word that I say. Okay. And sure. the only rules are you just, you can't repeat the word I just said. We've had people try to do okay. that and you can't say the same word like every time. Okay. Got it. Yep. <laughs> okay, cool. First one, composable. Legos. Web3. Crypto. Interoperable. Exchange. Ecosystem. Uh, collection. Social capital. Status. Reputation. Credibility. Exclusivity. Inclusivity. Deflationary. Inflation. <laughs> now you're just saying antonyms. <laughs> last one, last one, last one, decentralization. And do not say centralization. <laughs> um, decentralization is peer to peer. Okay, good job. That was not bad. You did start going. It's always funny to see where people land. Like you started just going with like Antonet saying the opposite of what yeah. I just said. Some people like honestly will just start rhyming with me because they can't think of anything else. So then we're playing like the rhyming game. It's like a Rorschach but test. Yeah, yeah. 
It really is. I hope you had fun with that. I had fun with it. That was great. Um, cool. Well, uh, everybody go to quest.com. If people want to follow you personally, Richie, how do they find you? Uh, my Twitter is at Richie Bonilla and everything I do will come through there primarily. And then I also have my quest profile at quests.com slash Richie. Cool. Quest.com slash Richie. I kind of want to, I'm curious to check it out and see what, do you already have stuff on there? Yeah. Yeah. I have to clean it up still, but, uh, but it's, it's oh, nice. I like, it does look really clean and this is all auto generated for the user. You didn't have to like design this or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing we didn't mention is that you have like these hinge style prompts in there that help you solicit like more information about you that you might not think to share. Oh, nice. Um, And so we have like a library of fun prompts you can respond to, to like add some personality to the page. Fun. Very fun. Cool. Okay. Everybody go check it out. Quest.com slash Richie is the best way to get in and see like a real life example of everything that Richie was talking about. Thank you so much, Richie, for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will be back again next Thursday with another episode of Rehash. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Rehash. Rehash is hosted by Diana Chen, produced and edited by Ellie Dots and Tyler Internet and sponsored by Lens, Empire Wallet, and NFT.Storage. Rehash is also supported by Rehash DAO, a community of NFT holders who curate our guest lineup each season. To get involved, head over to our website at rehashweb3.xyz and collect this episode as an NFT. Anyone who collects an episode becomes a part of Rehash DAO and will be able to nominate guests for future seasons. Voting rights are reserved for our guests, sponsors, and OG crowdfund supporters. And to learn more about how to become a guest or sponsor, go to rehashweb3.xyz slash podcast. Finally, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at RehashWeb3 or on Lens at rehash.lens. <laughs>